Welcome to the Battle Buddy Podcast with Keith McKeever. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Battle Buddy Podcast. If you are an entrepreneur, business owner, brand builder, or even thinking about those things, I've got the guest for you today. The things that uh, we're going to discuss are probably the things that you're not thinking about right away when in business or branding and things like that. But first, Andy Nelson, thank you for joining us on the show. Glad to have you here. Uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your story, your background, uh, how you ended up in the military, what you did. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, I'll try to keep that concise. So I'm a native Washingtonian, I guess. You know, I grew up south of Seattle. Uh, and, you know, short story, I lived in the same house, you know, my entire youth. My parents still live there today. Uh, you know, you fast forward to when I'm getting kind of approaching exiting high school, you know, you get the, getting those calls from recruiters, right? Um, and I'd always kind of had, a, you know, I'd always had a fondness for the military. You know, my, my dad was in the Air Force, my uncle was in the Army. Uh, you know, so it's just a kid like any other, you know, playing guns around the neighborhood, that sort of thing. So I was certainly interested in joining the military. I didn't know what branch. You know what? The Army called me first. So, you know, the Army wooed me. You know, I got to watch back then all those laser discs, you know, at the recruiting office and uh, all the different branches and all the different things I could do. And I was, you know, I was enamored with that. And frankly, I didn't know what I was going to do after high school at that point. My uh, parents didn't go to college, so we didn't have those sorts of discussions. Uh, and it was a, you know, great time for, some, you know, some adventure and detour, figure out what I want to do. And I want to have some adventure in the Army. So, yeah, I want an airborne contract and an infantry contract. And that's what I got. So there I was. You can definitely get some adventure. So, uh, <laughs> sounds like you had kind of a similar story to me, just kind of bored in a way, just looking for something, didn't really know what you're going to do. Uh, yeah, I was, I mean, I was, you know, an average student, you know, probably a B plus student, you know, wasn't interested in some things, was interested in others. Um, but just really, you know, growing up, I didn't have the sorts of forward looking discussions with my parents, you know, and say, let's prepare you for adult you know, life, you know, and talk about college and that, you know, it was more of kind of pick your own, find your own path for me. And so I kind of ran up against that wall, uh, forking the road and well, here's a chance to kind of kick the can down the road and figure it out later. <laughs> that's exactly what I mean. That's, that's how mine was. I, I got my associate's degree and I was just kind of like. Do I want to continue stocking shelves and and unloading trucks for the next twenty years, or do I want to be good in law enforcement? Like I had my associate's degree in, or what exactly is it that I want to do? Of course, I was twenty, so you're just looking at the whole world like, well, I haven't really entered it yet. <laughs> I've got one yeah. foot in. I don't know what the world has to offer. I, and the army actually called me first, but my stepdad was Air Force in Vietnam, and and he's like, no, go talk to the Air Force. You want a little bit better quality of life, <laughs> and. uh and so that's that's how I ended up there. But uh, the army, I was on the I was on the phone for about an hour hour and a half with that guy. So he almost had me. <laughs> Wouldn't have been for my stepdad. I probably would have went army because uh, it was just like it spoke to me at that right time. It was like, oh wait, there's there's another option here. You know why why not? So mm-hmm. so after you got out, what uh, what got you into law? You know, what what made you decide to go that route? Yeah, that, well, there's not a direct path. You know, once when I was in the Army, I really started, you know, you find out a lot of time to read. So I was, I really figured out, you know, hey, the things that interested me uh, were history and for whatever reason, politics, I mean, or the, the study of it, I guess, you know. So as I got into undergrad, uh, I kind of started gravitating more towards history courses, 
political science courses, stuff I really liked, but again, once again, I wasn't thinking down the road, you know, where does this go? How does this turn into a career? And as I'm sitting there in my junior year, I think in, in college, I, I don't have answers to that. You know, I can go teach maybe. Uh, I think I got a teaching credential. I think I, at least I took the courses for teaching credential in history. So I was thinking that path potentially, or, or what else? Do I become a professor? Do I, uh, do I uh, work in a museum? I, don't, I didn't know. Um, so you just kind of start hearing from other people that, you know, hey, a natural kind of, if you're going to continue your education, you know, law school might be the way to go. I don't have any lawyers in the family. I don't know. I didn't know any lawyers. Uh, it's just kind of, you know, totality of everything seemed like that was the next, you know, step. And so I wish it was more involved than that. I wish I had some dream of being a lawyer. Uh, it wasn't that. It was just, let me continue. I loved academia. I loved learning. So I was interested to continue education. I mean, I could maybe be a career or a student, but... Um, it just, that was the next, that was just the next step. There's no doubt about it. There's a lot of learning in law school, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. I'm sure that's brutal. No idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can imagine, you know, whatever, you know, if you take on, go to undergrad or, or, you know, high school pick, whatever, imagine doing, you know, your three years of college, but, you know, effectively the same general subject, you know, you know, obviously different, you know, different subjects within different cuts, different slices, but, just la 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 la, you know, la la. Hey, I'm singing now uh, for three years. You know, that's it's it's involved, but I enjoy yeah. it. I really I enjoy have it. the distinction of being the first guest to have ever sing, sang on the show. <laughs> yeah, that was a complete accident. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. accidents are good, right? Happy, uh, what it was a Bob Ross, uh, happy little accidents or something like that. So. Uh, but yeah, you know, law, there's so many different aspects. I think people just don't really think about, you know, you've got real estate law, corporate law, criminal law, and you're in the trademark patent copyright type area, right? I don't know if there's a technical yeah. name for that. Well, you know, we typically put under the umbrella of intellectual property law. Okay. I mean, you mentioned about property, real estate, you know, so now intellectual property, no, another gotcha. kind. I should, I should have known that brain dump. It's too early in the morning. <laughs> So what we're going to talk about is defending your brand and you've got a Facebook group on it. But the first question I wanted to ask you is what is the first step somebody should think about when defending their brand? Well, the first step is simply, you know, is what I'm going to choose to kind of represent my brand, you know, my symbol, whether it's my name or a logo or both or slogan is make sure that I can even actually adopt that thing in order to defend it. You know, oftentimes that simple step is skipped. People glob onto something they want to symbolize their brand, fall in love with it, and just go without thinking, hey, you know, somebody else may have something very similar or identical in a similar industry, which may pose a problem for me. I might end up getting a cease and desist letter. Or I may have adopted something that I love, but I, it's, it, for a number of reasons, it may not be defensible, it may not be protectable, it may not be exclusive. And so... If it doesn't function that way to kind of let you stand out in a crowded marketplace, what real value does it have? So, so that initial step in defending your brand is choosing a defensible brand. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people getting cease and desist orders on different things. You don't, you can't. I, I can't, in my mind, imagine how many possible brands there are across this country. It's got to be an unfathomable number. Well, yeah, most of you probably wouldn't even know because they just may be local businesses and still kind of, you know, the traditional, not really visible. I mean, you know, a local tailor or whatever probably doesn't have a web, may not have a web presence. You know, so you may not just see them unless you physically drive by. There's plenty of businesses like that remaining in the U.S. Not everyone's online. So, yeah, I try to put a number on it. Good luck. 
Yeah, unfortunately, not everybody's online. I wish that one would change. I still can't believe today in 2021, there's businesses with no online presence. Just blows my mind. <laughs> it, it, it makes no sense. Uh, but actually, that leads perfectly into my next question. Uh, website protection. What, what does that actually mean to protect your website? Website can be a challenging one because, you know, a lot of people, you know, design websites. They, they love them and they say, ah, this is I've spent the money doing this. This is mine. And so when they see another website that has the same kind of general layout and features, you know, people get bent out of shape. That's a tough one to protect. Website layouts are really hard to protect. Um, almost, I'd say almost impossible, just because there's only realistically so many ways to do it that's functional, that's attractive, that sort of thing. And so, you know, there's not a lot of policy to protect basically give someone a monopoly in that sense um, if it's really kind of functional or has some kind of um, yeah, consumer and some function in terms of consumer attraction, that sort of thing. So trying to get that, that <laughs> trying to not get too technical. Other content on a website though can be very protectable. That is websites are large, are probably going to be featuring a, a brand's trademarks, you know, and that may again maybe a name, word words, might be uh, logos, could be really distinct color combinations. Uh, maybe jingles, uh, slogans, that sort of thing. So those sorts of things, when people dupe others' websites, sometimes they they dupe them, you know, wholesale, and so they grab <laughs> on a lot of that stuff. So you, you know, so protecting your trademarks, I mean, those can be protectable as they're featured on someone's you know, website. Um, another thing that is protecting the website is not really the layout, but the actual literary content or the other content, the graphic art, that sort of thing. All that sort of material is protected by copyright law in contrast to trademark law. And that content, again, when I see people dupe other sites, they typically, they, you know, they're not very clever about it. They typically cut it wholesale uh, and then maybe switch up the name of the company, uh, but leave the rest. I've seen that happen plenty of times. But A lot of so, cut and paste, huh? You know, cut and paste job, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's detectable. So, um, so those are the ways that a website could be protected. There's still, you know, trademark protection potentially and some copyright protection. There may be some patent protection as well, but I, I won't, that's, that's really detailed. I won't get into that uh, right now. <laughs> it's rare. So. Yeah. So because a lot of websites, like for instance, the Battle Buddy podcast, my website is through Squarespace and they only have so many different templates, so many different things you can do that. Right. Is that part of the reason why it's really kind of hard to do because there's because only there's so many different templates. templates. That company has one company a b and c over here kind of have their own templates and you can only do so much there's only so many combinations yeah. well yeah and people i suppose someone could argue hey you know you could you could slice this up so many different ways you can move something a millimeter here and this and that you can keep i mean there's infinite combination but that's not real i mean you're, you're what you're doing by trying to like slice that up that way is just foster a whole lot of needless cease and desist letters litigation complaints and nobody wants that so the general view on website layout is in re, you know, there's certainly minor variations, but there's a general overall layout that we see almost always, and you just can't protect that or make it exclusive to any one person. Otherwise, we're just going to have problems. So <laughs> more problems. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so uh, another thing you do is like social media can be a real headache for some brands. What would you say the top two to three things most businesses can do to kind of protect their brand or avoid issues on social media? Oh, on social media. Wow. Um, let me see. Okay. So that can be, it can be a challenge. If anyone's had to try and take down content before through a social media platform, it can be a challenge because you don't know who's reviewing that stuff. 
So when you're saying, if I'm understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, Keith. If you're saying, you know, hey, you know, my my brand imagery or even my copyrighted content potentially is being used by others on social media platforms. Yeah, you know how, yeah, how to protect protect yourself or avoid issues there. Sure. Well, luckily, I you know started to complain about the platforms, but the platforms themselves have terms of service, terms of use that everybody agrees to when they become a member on the platform. And so there's typically an intellectual property section and a mechanism for complaining, taking down content. It's usually focused on copyrightable content. So again, graphic art, most likely, or photography or literary content. That's the kind of stuff if you see copied, you can take advantage of, uh, of the takedown procedure on these various websites. They don't always work. Sometimes the review is very arbitrary and sometimes the responses you see are really absurd. <laughs> like somebody does not understand what's going on. So I don't know how they get that function at the company, but it can work. I mean, and that is a, if it works, okay, it, it's a relatively simple way to get content removed with, with a low cost, you know, little effort and no cost because <laughs> you do it yourself. Um, if it's a trademark, you know, uh, problem as opposed to a copyright issue, as in someone's your brand imagery, your name, your logos, that sort of thing, that could be a little more difficult because all these websites are geared toward, while they have intellectual property policies, their takedown mechanisms are really, really geared toward copyrightable content. So they're not always responsive to complaints about trademark infringement, some more than others. But anyway, so, so using those mechanisms can be, you know, their own internal mechanisms to get content removed could be a very low cost way otherwise you know it's kind of tradition it's like you know how you do it in any other traditional sense you know you may have to send you have to make a phone call to the offending party if you, if you may know who it is or you think you can develop some rapport because it may not be doing it on purpose you know it may be a little more innocent than one might think and sometimes a, a nice phone call or a nice message may resolve the issue you know you don't do you think handling it at the lowest level like that actually works sometimes pardon me do, do you see that actually working sometimes or, you know, or how, how often do you see somebody's tried that? Uh, you know, we, I, I'm successful at that, you know, at least a couple of times a year. I mean, it really depends on the situation. Some people, if they're counterfeiters, I mean, you know, they're intending to do this. So that's not going to go yeah. well. But sometimes it's more of a, a, not, a misunderstanding or just not or never even looking, right? The thing I talked about moments ago is you got to go clear your brand first. So somebody else doesn't do that and they start using something. If you can approach them, you know, early enough and, and it's innocent and say, hey, you know, great, you're starting, you know, your own brand. You probably don't know that we actually exist in this space and this is likely to cause consumer confusion. Uh, you know, we're all trying to create unique identities, unique brands out there. So, you know, f- for that reason alone, it's, you know, it makes sense that you divert at this point, you know, and choose something that uniquely identifies you. You know, certainly one, you know, if we turn into a kind of a, a shoddy brand at some point, you wouldn't want that reputation rubbing off on you, right? You know, you know. I mean, there's ways you can talk to people and, and sometimes they're, they'll do it right away. Sometimes they're a little more skeptical and I don't want to change and, you know, and they drag their feet a while, but you can tell they're thinking about it still. They're not being, you know, they're not saying, forget it. Um, you know, and then you kind of push them a little bit and eventually they say, okay, I'll, I'll move. And some have to go talk to their lawyer and hopefully if they get a good one, the lawyer will say, yeah, this is, issue you want to divert so it does work um but you i'd say i say you know try to get as much information you can about who you're actually targeting or who you're going to be writing to Um, that'll tell you whether it's a waste of time or not that's a good point do a little do a little bit of background research yeah because yeah you you never know who that person's going to be scammers aren't going to care 
if the person, if it's an, if it's an innocent mistake, they, and it's simple changes, I could see them doing it, but you know, some people want to play hardball <laughs> and, yeah, and just like a fight, you know, and in that case, you might just have to call your, get your attorney that's on speed dial and say, Hey, draft a letter. I need you to send something because it sounds a lot, it's a lot stronger from you than it does for me. So <laughs> <laughs> I've had to, I've had to do that a few times. Is uh, you know, not not on this particular issue, but you know, sometimes HOAs and other things. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just best to have have the attorney send a letter. You know, it's a little bit more force to it, a little bit more power, seriousness to it. You know, and sometimes yes, and you know, I get asked that question a lot. You know, and, and kind of advising somebody in the background of a dispute that that's kind of budding and they don't know where it's going to go, they don't know how to resolve it. So I'm advising them in the background. And I say, well, I want to get you involved now. And, and I, you know, I often say, hey, think about this now. You know, you you two are negotiating directly. I'm in the background helping you. Um, but is it, you know, is it going to make sense to actually insert me at this point? You know, is that going to help clarify things, which is kind of the problem right now? Or is it just going to actually push the other party in the other direction? And they're going to lawyer up. And then this thing starts escalating. Like, you don't want that result. So think about that. You know, maybe I let me just advise in the background. Maybe you take another stab at it. Kind of thing. So... Um, there's, you know, when you think about dispute resolution, you really got to think, you know, a lot of different pathways, you know, because it, because it can, it can really, you know, it's like a, you know, like a, a blooming flower firework. You light that thing, it's, you know, can go all over the place once you light it. Yeah. I never really thought about that. The, the times I've been involved in those kind of things, it was a very clear, we've got to send a strong message, but never really thought about it that you some people really some should back down with that. some people thrive on that <laughs> <laughs> yeah you really should yeah, really yeah, consideration because yeah. you know no offense to you but i mean it's expensive when, when you had to consult with an attorney have the draft oh, yeah. letter all those things if you can handle it yourself much cheaper you can handle it easier without the big fight sometimes you need to fight though depends on, yeah well, depends yeah, who it yeah, is it depends what it is it's unfortunate, but it is, it's true. And, you know, it's, it's a game of, there's some, there's psychological aspects and, you know, some, I, I suppose some gambling know-how, that sort of thing, risk-taking. It's, you really got to have your synapses uh, firing a lot. I totally get it. As, as a realtor by trade, I think there's a lot of similarities there. And sometimes you, you have to get the full picture. You have to weigh it all. You have to put all this, all this stuff out in front of you and say, okay, what's my game plan? How am I going to attack this? You know what? What are we going to do here? What's uh, what's step one, step two, and then what's <laughs> what's, what's plan B <laughs> when, or plan C when plan B fails? You know, <laughs> got to figure yeah. those things out. So you got to polish that uh, crystal ball a lot, and you know, it's sometimes it's fuzzy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, permanently. <laughs> so how? Speaking of disputes, when like co-owners of a business or something, if there's a dispute there. Um, yeah. What's the best way of kind of handling those disputes? The, this is kind of a preemptive measure. Once again, the best way to handle those disputes is to have something, you know, almost a, an idol, so to speak, that you can point to for guidance. That's called a contract. So, you know, an operating agreement or, you know, a shareholder agreement or, you know, the title, whatever the title is. Okay, there's going to be governing documents for you know each type of entity. You know whether it's a partnership or whether you have an LLC or you have a corporation, what have you. Let a company skip that operating agreement. I'm just going to call that company. I'll call it a company agreement. You know, just generically, they're missing that agreement. And so when something happens a month down the road or a year, let alone a year, let alone five, whatever, and the co-owners look at each other and, and 
who knows what, whatever the issue is, when I'm going to pay out distributions, I want to leave, you know, the LLC. So uh, why, why don't we just value my share or my membership, my membership interest to buy me out right now? <laughs> that happens to be $2 billion. How do, how do people going to resolve those sorts of issues when they have nothing except their memory? And guess what? I guarantee not one time in the history of the planet has anyone, two people's memories aligned perfectly. It's not happening. So the, that, that gets skipped constantly. Businesses, you know, they pat themselves on the back because they're able to go to the Secretary of State and file, you know, articles of incorporation or articles of organization. And they go, oh, wow, success. I've organized an LLC. I incorporate it. That's the easy part, the governing document, the thing that says how this thing is going to be governed, when people are going to make decisions, who gets to make decisions, what are the roles, how, you know, what are people contributing, what are they entitled to, uh, on what grounds, on, and under what circumstances can somebody leave, can, uh, on what, you know, under what circumstances can we add members? I mean, all these sorts of things need to be in that governing document. So. It's a tool to guide behavior, to set expectations. That way, that when there's a dispute down the road amongst co-owners, and there will be, I mean, everything, you know, I don't care if it's a two-second dispute. I mean, there's going to be little disputes. There's going to be something eventually, for sure. Yeah, there's going to be some bigger ones, too. And there are going to be some ones where, you know, but for having the idol to look toward, you know, like operating agreement, probably going to have a serious dust-up. So, you know, you can just say, hey, we don't need to – you know, argue about this because we've talked about this and we actually agreed on this. Let's just pull out the agreement and see what it says about this particular issue. That So that's what that document does. It guides behavior, sets expectations, and I think dramatically reduces the likelihood of significant disputes that could disrupt the operation of the business. You know, things are pretty well spelled out in a contract and, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's there. You've signed it. <laughs> Everybody yeah. should have a copy. Everybody knows what it is. You know, obviously, it's, that's something that should be drafted. You know, you should be sitting down and, and having somebody help draft draft all that up. But for an entrepreneur that's out there that's going to go into some sort of business like that with a partner, before they get to that point, any advice for somebody on how they sit down and list those things out, like what's important to them and, and kind of hammer out some of those negotiations before they take it to an attorney and say, here's what we've agreed upon. Can you draft this up so we can sign it? Sure. Yeah, um, you know, I'm kind of doing this on the fly, but I'm pretty. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, this is just just general advice. Yeah, just whatever, you know. <laughs> oh no, I got you. I, what I'm saying is, I'm going to give out a, a reference here, and I don't even know if it actually exists. But I'm okay, sure. all right. Yeah, well, okay, we fly by the seat of our pants around here. <laughs> I bet if if, uh, if listeners here in you know whatever search engine they like to use, uh, write in you know, uh, you know top ten elements for an operating agreement. Or, or a limited liability operating agreement, something like that, you know, uh, negotiating an LLC agreement, something like that. I bet they're going to get, you know, a Forbes article or something like that that has a nice list of the key points to negotiate um, or, you know, resolve, you know, with co-owners um, when entering into an agreement, no matter what state you're in. I mean, there's going to be variation from state to state, but uh, but the large key core components are largely going to be the same across each state. The, the core components that go into the agreement are going to be largely the same across, uh, no matter what state you're in. So that's the way. Yeah, it kind of gives you a little bit of a roadmap that, roadmap that way that you can kind of go off of and figure out what you want to yeah. do. Because I mean, you can, imagine, I can imagine... Yeah, a lot, you know, a lot of, some of the big issues are, you know, what are the percentage ownership going you know, to be? Are there going to be classes of 
membership interests or shares, voting rights, management issues, uh, exit issues, you know, adding members or, or shareholders, you know, those sorts of issues. You know, the, the, some of those real key things, uh, you know, those are going to definitely be addressed early on. I've never been through that personally, but I can only imagine that that process. Well, you should obviously know and trust your business partner, but let's just face it, whoever you're entering business with to have these kind of discussions is probably going to be stressful at a minimum. And especially when you start talking compensation and ownership, and all, all these different things, I, I, it can be so easy to slip on somebody's toes. You can't have it later with no document, you know? Yeah. You're already, you know, you're already, you know, to use a metaphor, you're already in bed together. You know, once once you've organized that entity, you know, we're underway. So uh, you just got to do this all at the same time. It's just yeah, you just got to sit down and, and hammer it out. Is is no matter how uncomfortable that process is of doing it, you get through it. You set everything up. You sign everything, and that's when you roll up your sleeves and get to work. Yeah. Doing what your business does, providing your service. And you got a guy, you, you have a map uh, on some level, you know. Yes, you're going you're gonna to be in charge of, you know, IT, day-to-day operations. You know, yes, I'm going to be in charge of marketing and sales, you know. I tell you what, that stuff's not in there. Next thing you know, you got this oral agreement, and three months down the road, you're going, okay, yeah, I said you're going to do sales. It's like sitting around and doing nothing. Or God forbid, that's the one position you forget is sales and everybody has everything figured out and you're like, why aren't we selling anything? Because <laughs> nobody was in charge of sales. I mean, this is exact stuff I see. I mean, I see these sorts of things, you know, it's, it's, that's a common one, which is, you know, two partners that are, you know, complaining about the third because the third's not going his or her way. They are that kind of complaint. So, but, you know, nothing in the agreement says that what anyone's going to do. So if that person has their membership interest, they can just sit there. Oops. Spell that out. Wow, yeah, that'd be that'd be an interesting situation. I, I'm sure you got a ton of stories. It'd be awesome to hear a bunch of them. I know some of them you probably can't tell, but you know that's why I asked you these questions because I went to your website, <laughs> researching, you know, and seeing exactly. I, being in the Warrior Council together, I had a really, really good idea of what you know what you do, but I wanted to see those other little things, and that's why I kind of asked on some of the, the social media and things like that. So, yeah, no. Uh, definitely, definitely some good things. We have weird things. I mean, you know, I, I like to certainly talk about, you know, a few different categories of things that I do a lot. But, you know, as you can imagine, you know, just kind of a, by nature, you're kind of a problem solver. That's that's what you do. Uh, you get some weird questions. You know, I mean, I've had <laughs> over the years, you know, I've had, uh, geez, I think when I went to one firm years ago, the very first call I got, uh, you know, from an existing client at the firm, they're a big apparel company. And the, and the issue was, hey, one of our sales guys, you know, we, he traveled down to Texas and rented a car. Well, it got destroyed in a hailstorm, and now the company wants him to pay for it. I mean, that was that's yeah, the issue that got presented to me, kind of thing. Like, okay, well, let's think about this. How do we resolve this? Yeah. Well, let's see. And number one, the car, whether it was in his possession or not in his possession, would have been destroyed by the hail. So it's not really his fault. There's no causation. You know, it is, and they're like analyzing this stuff you just get weird things or you know believe it or not believe it or not there's a uh there's there's a law in california maybe in a lot of other states as well that that quite rightly prohibits um differential pricing based on gender and other classes in other words for example if you're a dry cleaner you can't charge you know women eight dollars for tops and then guys four dollars that's that's the kind of the the laws that's what it was written for that's literally i think what it was written for originally you know decades ago but it's written in general terms, so it can apply in different places. Um, but I had, so I, you know, this is how it got used. I had a client who owned a restaurant down on the Beach, 
and he had ladies' night, right? So, you know, trying to get more ladies into the restaurant and the bar on Thursday night. And so it's cheaper prices for women and more expensive prices for guys. Well, so guess what? A guy sued <laughs> you know, the restaurant, um, and we had to deal with that. And guess what? It's a very harsh, strict law, as in you have no excuse, basically. If you do it, you're liable. You're paying. You know, so... Uh, it makes you know, sense. You, yeah, and I'm not surprised the guy sued on that. <laughs> well, of course, I got, you know, it's the kind of thing that comes across my desk, and I'm going, is this, is this a rule? <laughs> this up, you know? So, I mean, by nature, we're researchers. It's not like every lawyer is a walking encyclopedia of law. It's not, well, there's probably a couple other special people out there that can do that, but very few. Uh, we're researchers, you know. We know how to think, you know. You apply critical and legal thinking or legal analysis, but, you know, we're just great researchers. We don't can't know it all. We just we know how to get to it. Do you find a lot of people just because of ignorance maybe just lump all attorneys into just one category, just attorneys? Like they, they just automatically think that you're going to – know about criminal law, just like I was in the Air Force, right? And yeah. civilians, civilians thought, thought I, flew I flew planes. No, I sat in a pickup truck behind it, guarding it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, it's all these misconceptions. Uh, well, yeah. And it, I mean, you know, it's, it's ignorance in the, it, you know, in the, in the nicest sense of the word, you know, it's not as if people are, you know, willfully avoiding learning, you know, what kind of categories of lawyers there are, something like that. Well, it's a good thing uh, if you can go through most of your life without needing an attorney. So. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. I mean, you know, people are generally known as lawyers or attorneys. And, you know, every once in a while you get the little extra tag on the front of real estate lawyer or estate planning lawyer or something like that. Um, and people know what some of those are. I mean, you're going to run into estate planning. You know, you see that on the billboards and things like that. You know what personal injury lawyer is because you see that on a bus or, you know, or whatever. Uh, you Somebody's know, in their office is going to call you after you've been in an accident. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, Right. I mean, so, you know, so I think people, I would guess people probably have three or four or five kind of categories of lawyers, you know, the criminal defense lawyer, you know, the prosecutor, that's maybe lumped into one, you know, the estate planning attorney, you know, uh, the, you know, just a couple others, you know, the class action lawyer, the personal injury lawyer, and then, then there's just a lawyer, you know, but there's so many different little things. You might have somebody who just specializes in, you know, in ERISA or something like that, or, you know, somebody in antitrust only. I go like this, like it's small. No, it's gargantuan amounts of law. Oh, yeah. It's a small slice of, you know, all the different disciplines. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt about it. Our, our lawmakers spend a lot of time making laws and they are complicated. And I can only <laughs> imagine the time and, and energy to research all that stuff. And, and that's what I was thinking when you're saying it, talking about your love for academia and learning. And boy, that really is just a natural fit, you know, to do all that research and Look up all these things, and yeah. I can see why you why you ended up in law. It was different, though. I you know I loved undergrad. I loved the lecture type, you know, delivery. That's you know you're just absorbing information, memorizing it. There's some critical thinking, but I think a lot of it is just regurgitating, right? I mean, that's kind of what it is. Law school, I didn't realize it was like it's uh, you know it took me a while before I figured out it was Socratic teaching, not lecturing. Uh, you know, so it's all back and forth with the class, right? But constantly, it's asking questions and having students spout stuff out. And <laughs> hopefully, it sounds, you know, somewhat cogent and logical. Uh, different kind of learning, and you're just reading cases. That's all you're reading excerpts from cases. That's all you're doing. You know, it's not, you're not reading law histories and, you know, narratives about law. It's actual case cases. Some statutes, really, but it's really cases, you know, reasoning. Kind of picking up the reasoning, just learning how to apply that sort of reasoning, how to understand it, and how to 
apply it, how to write it, how to speak it. Yeah, I don't think law school would be for me. That's for sure. <laughs> going through my business <laughs> degree right now, had a lot of classes where you've got case reviews on certain things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not going to lie. That's kind of painful for me to just kind of yeah. read, to read through some of those and write two page paper on my opinions or summary. And it's not my cup of tea. Yeah. It, it, it was another thing I did not realize is that this is going to require skills out of me that I didn't think I have. And I still don't think I have this day. I am not a natural speaker. I do not enjoy and relish the idea of getting up in front of a bunch of people. I just, it's just not I me. Mean, never has been. And of course, now I decided to go to this profession, you know, it's kind of just meandered into it. And then somehow meandered into the litigation side of things, which means, hey, court appearances, <laughs> you know, appearances for judges, making arguments, uh, making, not even making arguments, just making quick appearances and, hey, here's the status of the case. And even that, you know, trying not to screw up something simple like that, you know. And, um, I've gotten better, you know, and I'm glad I, I'm glad I did it because it's, it's just like I said, it's not a natural fit for me, or I perceive it not to be a natural <laughs> skill of mine. How about that? So that's another good nugget there because I'm I'm kind of the same. Like, I would not do good in front of twenty thousand people or maybe a thousand people speaking. I don't think I would be very comfortable in this situation. But I could get up in front of a group of a hundred or two hundred and talk. That wouldn't really bother me. But it's still in the back of my mind, if and when I do those things, and just kind of just got to work through your nerves. Any any advice for people who you know who are looking to do that, whether it's speaking or whatever they're going to do, anything to help you get through that? <sighs> Boy, um, you know, I wish I had some kind of trick or tell. I don't. But what I will say is, uh, what I realize is, is I'm, I'm better at this than I thought I would be, and it's because. It's the same thing that has served me everywhere else <laughs> throughout my career and career in law and academia is, is practice, just practice. And, you know, and I'll, I, the quick example I'll give is, is, you know, I'm in a networking group I've been in for five years. We meet every single week and every single week, you know, we get up there and we give a little 30 second, you know, we call it a profitable introduction. You might call it a commercial or something like that. You know, and you're always trying to think of something new and, you know, new ways to tell people exactly, you know, 30 seconds, exactly what you do, kind of what, you know, problem you solve, how you make people feel, you know, and, you know, so people can say, hey, I know this person who does this or offers this good or service. And you really want to try to you know, get other people to remember those sorts of things so they know exactly how to refer people to you. When I started, the very first time I was in this group, man, for me to do a 30 second little commercial took you know, an hour of prep the night before to think about what to say, rewrite it over and over and over again, practice it, freak out because it went 32 seconds, you know, try to shake off, <laughs> try, you know, practice, practice. Oh, you know, I just agonized over it, agonized over it. And, you know, over the course, to you know, and I write it out, I save them all. And eventually it was about, you know, maybe a year and a half next, you know, I'm not writing them all. I'm not even really thinking about a lot of them. I've got the subject matter down, okay, and I know it's going to fit in the formula, and I can start to just, you know, just just spew it out. Uh, and so, you know, now I don't have to do that. I'm not saying they're all great. They're not works of art by any means, but I don't agonize over it. I've got something to talk about, um, and I can throw it in 30 seconds. With it. It's really automatic. So just it, it takes the practice like anything else, and then it's just going to kick into gear a lot easier. That's, that, that's, that's my path. That's my advice. I'm that's sure there's other little hacks that are way better than that. Yeah. I would say, you know, in my opinion, it's just 
putting yourself specifically in incrementally bigger groups. You know, start a group of five or 10 people and teach them something or, or speak in front of them. And then maybe 15 or 20, you know, and just kind of build it up in, in there. And then eventually you might still have the nerves, but it won't be as, as bad. Yeah. You just kind of go there. But you had a great point about practice because uh, our buddy Frank from the Vetspreneur Tribe and the, and the Warrior yeah. Council, I've, I've been in so many rooms with him on Clubhouse over, well, pretty much this year. And he's always telling about people about what he does. And I have seen him just get so faster and more fluid. It yeah. just it just comes out naturally now. I've just heard it, um, and so it's well, just so natural and smooth now. I think yeah, I think a lot of us folks who would dub ourselves as not natural speakers or gifted speakers, like many of the things, you're impatient, right? So you you know you know that practice is going to make perfect, or you know <laughs> it gets gets you better anyway. Um, but you want the results right away. You know, and if it's not, then you feel defeated. Can't do this. See, it confirms what I was thinking. I'm really, I stuck at this. I can't. You know, it's it's breaking through that, and I, that happened for me at some point. I mean, I still get nervous. Don't get me wrong. I, it's still not natural to me, but I don't. I don't have the agony <laughs> that I used to have, or the real, real fear, or you know. So, you know, whereas someone said, "Hey, do you want to?" I need. You know, somebody want to speak at this event before I graduate. Well, let me ask some people. I don't know if I want to do that or not. You know. Whereas now, yeah, right away, you got it, you know, without even thinking, okay, what, what exactly are we going to do here? I figured if I just, just make a quick, immediate, sudden move, you know, that I've kind of committed. I've committed. No way. Yep. No <laughs> Once you committed, you committed. Yeah. There's no turning back now. So well, that's, that's some great advice, both on the law and uh, for speaking and, and being in front of people. But uh, I wanted to uh, highlight, you've got, a, you've got a Facebook group for yeah. – for your uh, for your brand called defending your brand on Facebook, it's uh, just Facebook backslash groups slash backslash defending your brand. You go there, you can join Andy's group and learn all about it. There's a lot of interesting stuff uh, in there, but you've also got a YouTube channel. I don't have the link up there, but I will put it in the link in the descriptions where you have little was it five six minute videos or so, you know, just talking about a lot of these topics. So a lot of great information that you're. Yep, you put a lot of great information out there and. Uh, you know, I know I've subscribed and I, I watch it. I, watch it. I will self-admit I watch too much YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I do too these days. I really do. Yeah, yeah it's all, all, too much to watch. You know, you can always find something on YouTube. You can't always find something when it's on TV. I get pleasantly surprised with the, you know, the, the uh, yesteryear stuff that I find <laughs> when I look in there. It's something pops in my head from my youth or something. I'm like, I wonder if somebody actually somehow happened to have this. <laughs> somehow happened to unload it. And sure enough. Yeah, if, if you look at a lot, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of stuff is on there. It's crazy, and you can watch full movies with ads. It's yeah, all kinds yeah. of stuff on there. But so go check go check out Andy's group, defending your brand. Uh, go check out his his YouTube channel. You got a ton of great information. Any any other nuggets of information you want to drop before we wrap up? Oh boy, tell us tell us what you know what you specialize in. I, how about that? Okay, sure. Why not? So you know, as a a, a loose business lawyer, you know, I do a lot of different things. I, you know, help people resolve disputes, which I mentioned uh, or alluded to earlier. Uh, what I also do, what I like to focus on is helping people figure out what their intellectual property might be. Uh, and, it, you know, once we identify it, how to go about protecting it. Uh, because for a lot of businesses out there, this kind of intangible, invisible intellectual property just might be the business's most valuable asset. 
may not be that real estate, may not be all that inventory and other personal property, but the IP. Ask Apple, <laughs> ask Google. They've got plenty of physical stuff that they own, uh, but that stuff does not match the value. It's just that's tied to these intangibles, like the names, just you know, the names and their logos. That Absolutely, seen those things on on Facebook. You know, the the brand quiz or whatever. You know, can you identify these different things? Like you said, McDonald's, Apple. You know, these you could describe it, and most of the population would know exactly what it is. And so I can see, yeah, that's more valuable than the $25 million building that their headquarters is, yeah. whatever the cost is. Uh, well, yeah. I, mean, I, use this, I use this stupid example all the time. A lot of people have heard it, so there's going to be people rolling their eyes right now. But I said, look, if Apple decided to come out with a, you know, a new line of breakfast cereal tomorrow, a good many of you would buy it. <laughs> they have no experience in the food industry, nothing whatsoever. But you, as a consumer, attach so much cachet to that brand, that Macintosh logo, it doesn't matter. They can make any kind of product or offer a service, and you'd say, it's probably good. It's probably quality. <laughs> this is probably a really good cereal. You'd buy it. So that's the kind of value. I mean, how do you value that? When you can basically put it on any product or any service and sell it and sell it hard. So Yeah, it's all about value and trust. You know, they've... They built your trust because you purchased her stuff for so long and you see it all the time. So you value it, you know, and you know, it would be interesting. Well, someone's going to buy your business. You know, someone's going to buy your business. They may say, well, great. You've got a customer route or whatever. you got existing, you know, contract for customers. They're buying stuff. But I bet a lot of them are thinking, what's in, do I just want that? I'm happy with this business. Or am I thinking growth? Am I, am I going to expand? And when they're talking about that, they're not just talking about that you know, that real direct tangible stuff that you're selling. They're thinking about, you know, what's the brand recognition here? I'm buying that name. I'm buying that logo. That's got, you know, consumer association in this area and probably in the surrounding areas. So there's there's a value on that and in those intangibles. And using a business owner would be wise to know that. Now, somebody like me who's, you know, my name, my name is basically my trademark as an attorney. It's Andy Nelson, you know, so I can't really sell that. <laughs> you know, so it doesn't work for everybody. Um, but, you know, but, but a lot of businesses, yeah, it, you got to think about that intangible value as well. Goodwill. You've heard that, uh, you know, what's how much, what's the value put on goodwill for the business? Yeah. So that, that, valuation that, expert at some point. Yeah. That, that, that name means something. If you're going to go buy the rest the little restaurant in your hometown that's been there for 30 years, well, that's, that's 30 years of brand recognition and signage mm -hmm. and all that stuff, all that, that goodwill. I mean, there's a reason they've been in business that long. If you're going to buy that, you're probably going to pay a premium for it. Yeah. Because they know what it's worth. They know what they've built. So you had a really good point there just to come back into a personal brand because that is something I have seen over the last few years. A lot of people are talking about Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about it. And so do other people about build your personal brand because even if you build a company and you sell it off and you go build another one because you're an entrepreneur, but you yeah. are the brand. So mm -hmm. how are you seeing that? And, and how are you seeing that play out in your practice? Uh, well, sure. I mean, I see any number of, you know, I, this is just my, you know, small lens, I guess. Any number of, you know, people that have a lot of these, gosh, you name, you name the type of industry, you know, where it actually can be really any industry, right? Where someone's really highlighting themselves. And I, yeah, I think that's a, in large part, a, uh, you know, a campaign to kind of campaign for, you know, the next big thing, you know, people, you know, how do I get known? Because yes, I mean, we're a lot of interchangeable parts and we 
kind of bounce them around and move around that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, you maybe want to maybe you want to be known as the guy who founded Oakley or whatever. You know, you want to refer to as the guy. Nobody knows who you are, or you want you know just sort of, uh, or really having you know alongside uh, you know a real strong personal brand. Which, you know, yeah, I guess if you're certain types of folks, that could lead into other sorts of opportunities. You know, names are very difficult to protect, but they're not impossible because, I mean, how many can we name? You know, Tommy Hilfiger, Ralph Lauren, <laughs> Sophia Loren. You know, uh, yeah, those are more tied up in the actual logo and company name, though, too, right? So that's yeah. – you're not really protecting the person's name. You're protecting it as the brand because it's the company name there in those cases. Well, correct. So, yeah, somebody's if somebody's able to get such great recognition for their name, such that it takes on trademark significance, trademark rights, it's still not going to be for every single thing under the sun. Like, you know, Ralph Lauren probably has very little in the way of protection over, you know, automotive parts or something like that. Um, you know, so I'm not saying someone's free to start a Ralph Lauren auto parts line. No, I'm not saying that. I, you know, I, don't take that. That's no. There's no advice there. But you can see what I mean. It's it, you know, it's that's the same with any sort of trademark, even if it's not a, a personal name. Is ownership really extends to the you know the products or services that you've offered, and really kind of the natural zone of expansion, the adjacent kind of lines, the things that relate, the things that you know, such that if a consumer saw it um, and it came from a different source, they might be confused about the source. They might think, oh, you know, this. I've been seeing. You know, for example, I saw. Um, Oh boy, uh, it was like the cookie brand, like Betty Crocker or something like that. I, you know, I saw some in the store. They're making, uh, you know, like baking tools, and I think of them, of course, as like cake mix or whatever. But next thing you know, you're making the actual tools, like uh, mixing bowls and things like that. And I think I may be screwing up which brand that was. But you know, you think of it. Oh, it's different. That's a different good. That's a hard good, but. Okay, it's kind of adjacent. So, yeah, related stuff, to Crocker from somebody. I, I might think it's from that same source. You know. So, so that's kind of. But if you saw Apple on cereal, <laughs> yeah, well, that would be out of left field. It, it would be, um, I don't, but I haven't seen anybody else do it. <laughs> or, or if someone else is going to give that a go, I don't know. I don't know. Apple's uh, pretty. I will, you can imagine they're pretty. Uh, they're pretty bullish about uh, protecting their marks. I'm not the attorney here, so I'll give advice on that one. Don't do it. It's probably <laughs> not a good idea. I don't know how that's going to play out for you, but. Apple's got some big guns up there. I'm pretty sure <laughs> you well, might not want to try it. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably, probably not unless you're looking for a fight, you know, who knows what they'll do. That's the, that's the non-attorney here in the, in the room talking about that. One. I think it's a solid assessment. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, Andy, I, I appreciate you taking some time on a Saturday to, to, to be on here and talk about what you do and, and give some nuggets of information for people to protect their brand. Cause I, I see people just, well, I mentioned earlier, like websites, people just, a lot of businesses don't have websites, which blows my mind. And a Facebook page to me is not a website. A website is just about your brain and a place to be and give you some legitimacy. And it's not that difficult or expensive to do. Mm-hmm. You can have a simple one, but there's a lot of things that people just start paying attention to on brand and that they need to need to look at those things before you get yourself into some sticky messes and trying to make sense out of what's going on when you get those you nasty letters. Sweet for minds. There you go. That's a good one. Good way to put it. Yeah. You got to look for them. So once again, I appreciate it. Folks, go check out Defending Your Brand on Facebook or on YouTube. Connect with Andy. Uh, if you're in the Vetrepreneur Tribe, you're probably seeing him tagged all the time in, in questions. Um, 
I, I think you're tagged like twice a day at least. That's <laughs> <laughs> just what I'm saying. Very nice. Very thoughtful of everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you are the expert. And, you know, when we see those things, I, I, I think I've tagged you a couple of times in different things mm-hmm. too, you know. So, but have a great weekend, Andy. Once again, thanks, thanks for being here. Me too, Keith. Thank you. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to be here. Yeah.